Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the words of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May God bless the reading of His Word. You know, this morning we're going to begin looking at the, the message that Jesus has to the seven churches listed here in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And in each of these uh, messages, uh, Jesus gives what could be considered a, you know, a progress report to these churches. And uh, just recently, my kids received their progress reports. Can you believe that? It's already been half, we're halfway through the nine weeks, first nine weeks. So they've received their progress reports, and I won't share what their progress report said. Uh, I don't want to you know, embarrass anyone. And, uh, but, you know, the progress reports, you know, the whole purpose of the progress reports is to let you know, okay, uh, this, you're halfway through the nine weeks, and before you get your final grades, this is how you're doing. And the progress reports show that, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe, maybe when you received your progress reports in school, everything was just great. You're doing great. Just keep up the good work. But usually, for most of us, what it would show us is that, you know, there are some, things, there are some subjects that we're doing pretty good in. Let's just keep up the good work. But there's also some subjects that need some attention. Students, y'all can relate to that. I mean, have a few subjects maybe that need some tweaking. Well, that's how this uh, message comes across as I read it uh, from Jesus to the church in Ephesus. It's a, it's a progress report. He's going to look at the church and he's going to say, here's some things that you're doing well uh, and here's some things that you need to uh, give attention to. And so we're, this morning we're going to look at the progress report for the church in Ephesus. So let's dive in uh, to this first report and hear what Jesus says to the church. You know, he starts out in verse 1 and he says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And so we see right off the bat, the message is to the angel of the church in Ephesus. And so the question is, well, who is that? Right? And there is some debate as to, who that angel refers to. Some believe that John's referring to a little angel, and he uses this same word all throughout this book to refer to angels. Others believe that he's referring to the pastor because the word angel also means messenger. Uh, so some believe that he's talking to the leadership of the church. Uh, and still others believe that he's referring to the prevailing spirit of each church as he gives these messages. 
And although there is some uncertainty as to exactly who the, who the writer is uh, referring to here as the angel, we know that the message is to the church, to the church specifically in Ephesus. And so what we need to realize is that the people in Ephesus, this church, uh, you know, these people were not much different than you and me. Uh, I mean, they face some of the same temptations. You know, they're going through life just like we try to go through life, uh, staying faithful to Christ. And uh, we have a lot in common with them. And so I challenge you, you know, as you read the New Testament and you see these messages to the church in Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica and now Ephesus, I want to encourage you to consider how the Hill Baptist Church, you know, our church, how do we share in some of the positive aspects that are mentioned here? But also we need to consider how do we share in maybe some of these negative aspects, some of these areas that need some attention. And so although this message in Revelation chapter 2 is addressed specifically to the local church in Ephesus, this letter was meant to circulate among several churches in the area and to be read and obeyed by the church at large. And now the, the letter has made its way to us. And so we must hear the message that John tells us that comes from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And if you were here last week or if you're familiar with Revelation chapter 1, you know, John's taking us back to that vision that he had of the risen and glorified Christ in chapter 1. And he's talking about this one who has the seven stars in his right hand. You know, Jesus' right hand of security and protection. He's holding the seven stars. And what's significant about this is that this word hold, you know, he's holding the seven stars in his right hand. It's not hold as in I'm holding this book. And you know, if I hold the Bible, I can't get my, my hands around the whole book. So I'm, I'm holding it to some degree. But the word here means to fully grasp. So he fully grasped the seven stars. All, the, all of the stars are in his right hand, fully held by the risen and glorified Christ. And so he holds these representatives of the seven churches securely in his hands. And then it says that Jesus walks among the golden lampstands. And you can imagine these lampstands, you know, sitting up here on this, on this platform, and Jesus is walking among them. And what John's telling us is that he knows these lampstands. He knows what's going on in these lampstands. He's holding the, 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 the prevailing spirit of each church or the, or the messengers of each church in his hands. I mean, he, he knows what's going on in these churches. And because of his intimate knowledge of each part of his body, the church, he is able to give the progress report. He's able to tell this church exactly what's going well and those areas that need some attention. And so may we too listen to this message and respond appropriately. So in Jesus' message here to the church in Ephesus, he shares with them five Ps, okay? He shares with them a praise, something that's going well, He's going to share with them a problem. There's something that's going wrong that needs to be addressed. He shares with them a prescription. This is how you deal with the problem. He shares with them this potential penalty that if you don't deal with the problem, this is what's going to happen. And then finally, he shares a promise. And so let's first look at the praise he gives them. In verses 2 and 3, he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. 
I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And then down in verse 6, he also says this. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so what he's saying in both of these sections of this progress report is that these false prophets and these Nicolaitans uh, sought to bring in false teaching in the church. And, and what they tried to do is they tried to bring this new, fresh message. And they tried to kind of modernize Christianity so it would just become a little easier for the locals to swallow. You know, they just tried to make the message of Christianity a little more palatable for the Ephesians that were outside the church. Because you see, you know, the, the city of Ephesus, if you're not familiar with it, the city of Ephesus in that time was a major city. It was not the capital city, but it might as well have been as far as the importance of this city. It was a major city in Asia. It was a large city that sat on the coast of the Aegean Sea and funneled all types of traffic from the Roman Empire through this major hub. It was home of the uh, Temple of Artemis, which was considered one of the seven uh, wonders of the ancient world. It was also uh, home to these temples that were built for emperor worship. And we talked a little bit about this last week, how uh, some of the emperors, especially when John was writing this letter, uh, they had erected these temples and they had required the citizens of, of the Roman Empire to worship the emperor and call Caesar Lord and God. The city was very diverse. It was wealthy. It was dense. And it was home to pagan worship at its strongest. And the city was also very immoral. Heraclitus was one of the most famous ancient philosophers. And he was known as the weeping philosopher. And his explanation of his own tears was that no one could live in Ephesus without weeping at the immorality which he, that he must see on every side. And so this is the context that the church found itself in. This is the city of Ephesus, a major city, big city, wealthy city, a lot of people coming through there. A lot of uh, people living lives that obviously were not in line with uh, God's word. And so this is where the church is. And there were some moving into the church trying to make the church a little more like the culture. So they were trying to make the message of the gospel a little more palatable to those who are coming in and around Ephesus. And trying to sync it a little bit more with emperor worship. So we wouldn't have to be in such stark contrast to the culture there in Ephesus. But the church held firm. Jesus says, you know... This church in Ephesus, you all are holding firm to the truth. I mean, you're not giving into it. I mean, you are sticking faithfully to what was given to you through the Apostle Paul and through the teachings of Jesus and the other apostles. Uh, they were holding fast to the truth. You know, Paul, when he was writing to uh, the church in Ephesus several decades before this, he told them, beware of false teachers. And they took him up on that. And they were doing well. And uh, Jesus applauds the church in Ephesus for their faithfulness. They were staying faithful to the truth. And they were willing to confront false teachings and call it what it is. And so on the progress report of the church in Ephesus, as you make your way down you know, the list of things that are going well, this was one of them. They were being faithful to the truth and they would have received a passing mark, right? They were holding fast to the word of truth. And so I wonder, when you think about the church of Ephesus, they're doing well in that area which leads me to ask, well, how are we doing in that area? 
You know, if, if Jesus were to give the Hill Baptist Church a progress report, you know, would we receive a passing mark in the area of faithfulness to the Word of God? Well, I hope we would. Uh, but what about you? You know, when Jesus, you know, Jesus knows the lamp stands, He knows the churches, He's holding the stars in His hands. I mean, he knows His body, He knows His people. And so, what would He say about our church? What would He say about you? you know, are you holding fast to the to word of truth found in the Word of God? Or are we compromising what God says in His Word so that we may blend into the culture? Are we trying to water it down or just kind of ignore portions of what God's Word says in order that we can just maybe not be quite contrasted with what the world teaches about what's right and wrong? You know, that was the temptation in Ephesus. That was the temptation of the church. And Jesus praises the Christians and He says, you know, you all have been working hard and you have been faithfully holding fast to the truth of the Word of God. However, as you all know, they are a church, right? They, they were a church. We are a church. And we know about the church. There are some things that are going well. But in the church, there are also some challenges, right? Things aren't always perfect, right? Actually, they're never perfect. And you know why that is? Because you're not perfect. And I'm not perfect. You know, the church is made up of imperfect people. And so we're never going to get a progress report with straight A's, right? You're just doing great in every area. Now, there's always going to be room for improvement, things that we need to, to look to and be challenged with according to God's Word. And so Jesus says, you know, in this area, you all are doing great. You're staying faithful to the truth. You're, you're able to discern truth from error. You're doing great. However... I do see a problem, he says. And he shares that problem with us in verse 4. He says, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. You see, the Ephesians were, were very diligent to make sure that they were defending the truth of the gospel. But as they were doing so, they ended up with a big head and a small heart. They were kind of lopsided. You know, there were these big-headed people with a small little heart. But they were holding true to the Word of God. Their heads were getting huge, filled with truth. You know, they believed the right things. If you were to give the, the Ephesians a theology exam, I mean, they would pass it. They would pass it with flying colors. But their growth was unbalanced. You know, their hearts were not keeping up with their heads. And they had abandoned, Jesus says, the love they had at first. Let's go back and listen to what Paul wrote about this Ephesian church several decades before. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, for you. I do not cease to give thanks for you. So Paul says, when I, when I hear about you, I hear about two things. One, your faith in Christ is just so encouraging. And your love, your love for the saints is just amazing. And I just give thanks for you. And so now Jesus writes him and says, you're holding to the faith. You're doing well holding to the truths of the faith. But your love, you've abandoned the love that you had at first. You see, the church was unified when Paul was writing it. The church was unified. 
They cherished the truth of the gospel. And at the same time, they allowed this truth to make its way into their heart and produce this love toward God and one another and those in their city. But at some point, you know, their love began to dry up. Their heart began to shrink and their heads be- began to swell up. You know, in, their, in their zeal for correct doctrine, a blockage began to form in that spiritual artery that connects the head to the heart. That blockage was forming, choking out the heart. The head was swelling up with knowledge, but the heart was shrinking. Love was lacking. Love was drying up. And I wonder, have you ever met a Christian like that? With a big head and a small heart? You know, they're students of the Word, but people just don't like to be around them. (laughs) You know, they could pass the theology test, but no one can stand to be with them uh, for more than a few minutes. I mean, they could teach the Bible, but they can't talk to their neighbor. You know, they learned all the right answers, but they lack love. And maybe you've met someone like that. Or maybe that someone is you. And maybe you found you find yourself with a big head and a small heart. But if that is you, then you can be encouraged because Jesus gives a prescription for how to deal with this. There is a solution. There's a way to fix it. And the prescription is found in verse 5. Jesus says, remember. He says, you need to remember, therefore, from where you have fallen... Repent and do the works you did at first. So the first thing you need to do is remember. You need to remember back when your heart was just as full as your head. You need to remember when the truth of the gospel that God loves you and sent His Son for you resonated with your heart and produced love for God and others. You know, you need to remember when your life was being changed by the truth of God's Word and your love for people was growing more and more. So the first thing you need to do is you need to remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember the Gospel. Remember the goodness of God. And I wonder, can you remember that? In your own life, can you remember when your heart was growing just as much as your head the second step he says is you need to remember and the second step is to repent you need to repent and to repent means to turn it simply means to turn from something to something and so what he's saying is you need to you need to turn from simply having just head knowledge and you need to turn to truth and love We need to turn from just making God's Word an intellectual exercise to turning to allowing God's Word to change our lives and put it into practice in our lives. And so the way we repent is by agreeing with Jesus about our diagnosis. So He's diagnosing the problem and we need to agree with Him about that. We need to acknowledge the areas of our lives that are just not in step with God. And I wonder, you know, is there any area of your life, think about your life, I mean, is there any area of your life that is just not in step with who God is and His Word? If so, we need to confess that area. Because here's the deal. 
you can't deal with it if you can't name it. Right? I mean, we need to be able to name it. And that's why Jesus tells the church in Ephesus, I'm going to name it right here. This is your problem. You've abandoned the love you had at first. You have correct doctrine, but it's not fleshing its way out of your life. And so Jesus names it for them. And now they have an opportunity. Am I going to agree with the diagnosis and turn from it and turn back to the Lord and to be who He wants me to be? And so once we name it and confess it, then we can turn from it and turn towards Christ afresh and ask Him to give us what we need to move forward by faith. So we have to remember, we have to repent. And the third step is we have to return. He says that we need to return and do the works we did at first. So we need to return to applying God's truth to our lives instead of just filling our heads full of knowledge, okay? Yes, we need to keep filling our heads full of knowledge, but we need to allow, we need to kind of unclog that artery that connects the head and the heart and allow it to make its way down and change our hearts and to produce the hearts that God wants us to have. And so we need to return to putting our faith into practice instead of just memorizing facts. We need to return to being full of both truth and love. And we need to return to, a, to loving God, loving others, and those in our city as well. So this progress report, Jesus gives them praise. You know, I see some things that you're doing well. Uh, however, there is a problem. But here's how you deal with the problem. Remember, repent, return. And then finally, He gives a potential penalty and a promise. The potential penalty is found in the latter part of verse 5. This is what Jesus says. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now just think about this. What is the purpose of the lampstand? And I love the way they put this here. We are the lampstand. So I wonder who the lamp is. I wonder where the light comes from. The light comes from Christ. We are the lampstand meant to shine forth the light of Christ and who He is to the world. And Jesus says, if you refuse to repent, then I will remove the lampstand. In other words, I will remove my hand of blessing from the church. The local church. You know, if you're not going to shine forth the light, be willing to be a vessel of His light, then He's going to shut it down. And this is simply what He mentioned in uh, Matthew, when He taught Matthew chapter 5. Remember what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount? He said this, Matthew five fourteen through 16. He says, you are the light of the world. He's talking about His followers, you know, the Christians. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under the basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is telling us that if we refuse to repent and allow His light to shine through our lives, then He will remove our lampstand. He will remove His hand of blessing from our church. And you know, we all know churches that have um, dramatically declined in their ministry effectiveness in their area or have even shut down, you know, for this very reason. You know, the church 
failed to be a light to their community. They failed to represent Christ in their community. And the, the church just abandoned the love they had at first. And they refused to remember and repent and return to the works they did at first. But we also, thankfully, we also know churches who have been in that situation that made the turn. They realized the situation they were in and they made the turn. Like the church in Ephesus, I believe they made the turn as well. And I believe we're one of those churches that, you know, we want to be the light for the community. We want Christ's light to shine through us. We want Christ's light to shine through every ministry of the Hill Baptist Church. I mean, this is what we want to be asking ourselves. Does this ministry, is this, you know, whatever we may be doing, is the light of Christ shining through this ministry in our city? And we can take comfort in knowing that, at least I take comfort in knowing this, that Jesus, you know, he's holding the seven stars in his right hand. He's walking among the lampstands. I mean, he's present with his people and in their work. And as long as we believe his word and carry out his word in love, then this lampstand will remain and the light of Christ will shine. And for those who hear and respond to his voice, he gives this promise. In verse 7, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So to the one who conquers, will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. In other words, he will experience life in its fullness in the presence of God forever. So who is the one that conquers? That's the question, right? Who is the one that conquers? Well, John describes this one back in 1 John chapter 5, his letter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. This is what John writes there. He says, Because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So the one who conquers the world is the one who believes in Jesus. And the one who believes in Jesus will hear what the Spirit says and be filled with both truth and love and allow the light of Christ to shine brightly through the lampstand of our lives. So, do you remember do you remember opening up that progress report when you were in school? You know, now they just email them to you. As an attachment. And so the only you know, anticipation is how long it takes to download the attachment. But you, know, you remember when you used to get the paper copies and you have to open it up and unfold that progress report. You know, How did you feel? Well, some of you just want to forget that altogether. You don't even want to think about progress reports anymore. Uh, but one of, the, one of the good things about the progress report is it just lets you know how you were doing. It just was a reality check, right? You're doing well on this, this subject, and you're not doing very well on this subject. So let's try to give some attention there and move forward. You had revealed areas that were going well and that needed attention. And so let me ask you this. How are you doing with holding to the truth of God's Word and not compromising? You know, that was the area that the Ephesian church was doing well in. How are you doing with allowing the truth of God to produce love in your life? 
That was an area that they weren't doing so well in. You know, if you find yourself falling behind in one of these subjects, then I want to encourage you to look to our, our great teacher and remember, repent, and return so that the light of Christ may shine brightly through your life. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for this progress report from Your Son to the church in Ephesus. And Lord, may we see ourselves in this church. May we share in the successes and acknowledge those areas that need attention in our own lives. And may we feel free to run to You. Remember from where we have fallen. Turn from our sin and return to do the works we did at first. Return to when our our lives were being changed by the truth of the gospel. Where we were sensitive to uh, the sin in our lives, that we were teachable and willing to hear your truth and be changed uh, and have our minds even changed by your word as well as our behavior. Lord, would you allow the gospel just to continue to penetrate deeply into our own hearts and minds so that love for you is produced, love for our fellow church members is produced, and love for those who don't know you is produced so that the light of Christ would shine brightly through the Hill Baptist Church. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.